morning, church. Did, I, did everyone enjoy those that were here? Uh, we had our anointing gathering last Sunday. Hope that you got a word from God. For those who don't know, uh, we take an annual uh, Sunday a year. We just want to pray for everyone, speak over what's happening. And this year, we put it as part of our theme for the year, which is Kingdom Here. Uh, we put more stickers out because we love stickers. And so you can have that. You can put it on somewhere that you are going to remind yourself about our uh, theme for the year. I'll put it on my Bible. I should put it on my phone as well because... I probably look at my phones, the Bible on my phone a lot more than actual paper Bible, but that's fine. And, um, and, and yeah, we, I'm so excited about this year's theme because I think for the first time in my life, I feel like the theme is something that I want to really see in every aspect of our life. A couple of weeks ago, I shared about how the Kingdom Here perspective is absolutely necessary. If you don't live with the Kingdom Here perspective, you're actually opening yourself up to living a life of, that is going to get stolen from you. And so that's available on our podcast. You can listen to that. Uh, but for those who are not familiar with the Kingdom Here message, Kingdom Here really is about us understanding that our lives as Christians is not just meant to be waiting to die to go to heaven, but really is about living in a way that brings heaven here. There is this kingdom here uh, mentality that we as Christians are meant to carry. And I, I love uh, when this was really uh, exposed to me, when Jesus first started his public ministry, he, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He said, is, is at hand, it is to come. But then the moment Jesus started teaching, the moment Jesus started um, uh, bringing healing and, and restoration to people, he changed the message just a little bit because he started to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is upon you. The kingdom of heaven is here. And so we as Christians, we get to live with the kingdom here perspective. God is not just waiting to rapture you one day and bring you to heaven. He wants you to experience the fullness of life that He has for you today. And that's the Kingdom Here message. Every series this year, we're going to try to tie it back to this idea of Kingdom Here in Feb. We are going to be doing a relationship series, but uh, how we're going to do it is that I'm going to be talking about six different biblical kingdom here principles for relationships. I'm not going to be going into, oh, this is how you uh, be a single person. This is how you be a married person. This is how you have friends. We're not going to go so much into that. We're going to talk about these big overarching principles that we find in the Word of God. I believe it's going to be so practical because we have been created to be in community. And so kingdom here next month is going to be focusing on relationships and we're going to have lots of fun as well uh, on Valentine's Day. Who, who knew that Valentine's Day was a Sunday? All you married people or dating people should have known because that should have been on your minds ages ago. Don't worry, we've got you covered. We're bringing ice cream to church. So that's going to be a bit of fun. Um, and we've got some other things planned as well through the month, uh, which is going to be great. But today, we are going to get a little bit political. Okay. Um, Yes, let, I'm going to have to be really careful, but I'm going to uh, be getting political. We're going to be talking about migration today. And uh, if you look around this church, um, I think we can almost play Spot the Aussie a little bit, isn't it? Um, it, it is kind of like that in, in Vic Park. Vic Park has a demographic where about a third of the population here do not have English as a first language. So if you don't speak English as a first language, 
this is very much your town. This is very natural. And, um, and, and so uh, I love migrants. I am a migrant. I don't sound like a migrant, uh, but I am a migrant. Um, I, I, when I was preparing this, I remembered, uh, I was thinking back, when, when did I come to Perth? It was 2001. So this year, my family celebrates 20 years, 20 years in Perth. That is uh, very significant. I think that's pretty crazy that I spend more time here in Perth than my country that was born in, which is Singapore. And um, migration uh, is, is kind of trippy because it really changes your whole life. It, it, it kind of whacks you out in many ways. And I remember uh, when, I, when we came to Perth, I was uh, 15 and I went to, uh, as any good Chinese parents would, they looked out for the best possible public school. Um, and so I went to Rosmoy because back 20 years ago, Rosmoy was the top um, government school. And so I went to Rosmoy, that's what we did. Um, and, 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 and I went there and it was like shocking for me. In Singapore, one of the things that uh, happens in the, in the educational, in schools, is that you are assigned a classroom, you sit in the classroom, and your teachers change. So if it's math class, math teacher comes in. And then the next class is English class, English teacher comes in. And it makes sense because how can you trust kids to make your way around a school? And when I went to Rossmont, it was chaos whenever the periods changed. And moreover, when you go from, like me, I've got really varied interests. And so I go from science to woodwork class, and woodwork's over there, science is over there. And so when the bell rings, my first day of school, I was packing it. I was like, I'm going to be late. You know, when you're a Singaporean going to school, lateness is like punishable by death. And so I'm like... I need to get to class and I'm trying to find it and I'm terrible at direction. Anyone who knows me knows that uh, I love smartphones because without uh, a, a, you know, the navigator map in there, I wouldn't know if I can get home. And so uh, it, it, was like, I was, it was weird going from class to class. It was like a workout every day trying to get to all these classes. I can see that the teachers were the ones that made this happen. The teachers are like, I'm staying here all day. You know, I'm not moving anymore, uh, except for the teachers. In Rossmoyne back then, um, there was a lot of renos that were needing to happen. So um, the school was already like 100 plus years by the time I went there. And so uh, some places had no air conditioning. I was like, mm, the poor teacher that stays there in the middle of summer with all these different stinky kids coming in, especially after lunch, right? You know, it was terrible. In Singapore, we only had one break during the day. It was lunch or recess, as they called it. In Perth, you have recess and then lunch. Um, which is great. I think I absolutely loved it. I used to travel an hour a day to get to school and then an hour a day to get home. I, I rode my bike for 10 minutes when, when, when we moved over here. So many things changed. But one of the things that was really interesting to me was that Singapore prides itself in being this multicultural country. You know, if you ever heard about Singapore, like, oh, we're so multicultural. It's like, you got nothing on Perth. Absolutely nothing of Perth. I remember, and this is where, please, this is not me being racist. This is me describing what it literally was like. And so when I went to Rossmoyn, um, we have these locker corridors for each year group. And the locker corridor was owned by the Hong Kong students. 
And so all the Hong Kong students and any other students that love speaking Cantonese, they will go to this one corridor. And when you walk into that corridor, it's like you literally walked into a market. And we're like, it was crazy. I, was, I, wouldn't, I would avoid that corridor at all costs. I literally did not get a locker because I was scared of that corridor. It was like, I don't know whether there's an illegal gambling den somewhere down the corner. It was crazy town. And then uh, there was another group of people, they were the Indian heritage people, and they, not me, they called themselves the curries. And so we had the Hong Kong market triads, and then we had the curries. It was fantastic. And then there were the white students, and then there was, you know, the Africans. There was all sorts of people, and they did not mix. People kind of found their tribe according to the skin color. And when I went to that school, I was like, where do I fit? Because technically speaking, I was part of the triads, but I did not like the triads. It freaked me out. And, and I literally would spend every different uh, break during the day with a different group of, of friends. I would spend some time with the curries. I would spend some time with some um, uh, of the triad members. I, I would spend time with white friends. And it was like, I felt like a nomad because everyone had their own tribe, right? And I was trying to find my tribe. I was trying to find where am I supposed to fit? And I was only there for two and a bit years. I, I probably fit in with the nerd gang, but, um, but we did not want to be identified. And so we never hung out with each other. Um, or rather, maybe they did, but I didn't want to go with them. But... You know, that, that was kind of my schooling life, and, and a number of years later, I, uh, as I was studying social sciences, I was studying uh, sociology and psychology, there was this uh, part where they explained something called acculturation. Acculturation is the process of moving from one culture to another culture. And uh, psychologists, sociologists, anthropologists, all those gists have developed a, a framework of understanding this process of acculturation. And they came up with four main strategies that people use in acculturating. You can see it in that graph uh, or chart. Um, and, and the four different strategies are integration, assimilation, separation, and marginalization. And that's my son, Sam. <laughs> He is acculturating to church um, and, and marginalization. And as you can see, there, is this, uh, con there are two different connections, one with your original culture and one with a different culture. On the top left, you have integration. And integration basically is where you hold on to your old um, culture while trying to participate and bring in new aspects of the other culture that you're part of. Right, so there's a top left, top right is assimilation, where you let go of your previous culture. You, um, you, yeah, you, you just stop participating in your old culture and you participate fully in the new culture. Okay, so that's assimilation. And then on the bottom, you have separation. Separation is a little bit tricky. Um, uh, and separation probably is what I noticed in Rossmoyne because what happened was uh, in separation, you hold on to your old identity and you do not participate in the new identity. So that's where all the Hong Kong kids stayed with the Hong Kong kids and they continued to be Hong Kong kids. There are some people that have moved to Australia for longer than I have. They continue to hold stronger ties to their uh, culture, to their uh, country of heritage because they have chosen to uh, use a strategy of separation. 
And then finally, you've got marginalization, which is where people don't identify with their old culture and they don't identify with the new culture. Sometimes people like this might come from more of a refugee background where their old culture has rejected them and so they don't have that. But maybe they haven't really had much choice as to where they landed and they don't know much about this new culture. They don't know, maybe they don't have the language to participate in this new culture. And so they end up being marginalized. There are these four strategies, and maybe if you just think about me as a model, which one do you think I would fit in? And I would say go mainly by my accent, because it's pretty clear that I have assimilated into Australia. I would rarely hold on and use a Singaporean culture to, to make any decisions in my life. My identity is Australian. And being an assimilated Australian, the funny thing is when you meet separated Australians that come from Singapore, Malaysia, or China, because they look at me and they assume that I still understand their culture, language, and so I will go to places uh, um, and, and I, I go for, hair, uh, okay, I guess I hold on to some Singaporean things. I only go for $12 haircuts. Anything more expensive, I'm like, why the heck do I do that? I mean, I'm already losing my hair. I might as well just shave it off. Uh, uh, but I go to, to, to these Chinese hairdressers because they're cheaper. And, um, and they look at me and they start speaking to me in Chinese. And, and then I'm like, um, short sides and back. And then I'm like, Oh, no Chinese? No. And they look at me as though I'm the worst human being on the face of the planet. Because in their separated mind, it's like, oh, bad Chinese boy. You, you have, you're, you're terrible. You, 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 you have rejected us. And that's kind of the, the interplaying of acculturation. And why I bring this up today is because in, in this world that we live in, acculturation, there is no right or wrong in any of those four strategies. When I'm moving to Australia, I can choose any of those four strategies, and there are pros and cons of each, with possibly the exception of marginalization, because that's where you feel like your identity is floating and it's really dangerous. But all, all the other three ones are actually quite, there are pros and cons of it. If I stay separated, I have my culture. It's easy for me to move within that culture. Uh, people understand me. They understand my context. They understand my struggles. They understand how I want to raise my kids. All of that kind of stuff. Integration, yeah, you know, you get the best of both worlds. Perhaps that's what you can try to do. Assimilation, I, I fully assimilate. I'm in Australia. I might as well be Australian. That's my mindset. I'm assimilated. And that's how, how kind of, there's no right or wrong. There's no morally right or wrong choice. You can migrate to any anywhere in the world, use any of those three strategies besides marginalization, and you will probably find a tribe to be a part of. It's fine. But as I was thinking about acculturation when it comes to the kingdom, that's when I think things get a little bit tricky. Because acculturation in the kingdom does seem to have a right or a wrong way to go about it. And I want to explain it to you today. First, first and foremost, I want to let you know that as Christians, we are acculturating. And the first thing that I want to point out is that in Philippians 3 verse 20, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven. As Christians, we all have to understand that I am not primarily Australian or Singaporean or Chinese or whatever it is that I identify with on this world, but my first identity is 
to heaven. That is what happens when Jesus saves us. He brings us in to a new identity and into a new kingdom and a new culture. And we have to understand that our citizenship is in heaven. When we look at this earth that we live in, we, we don't separate from this earth. That's not what the Bible teaches us to do. We are supposed to participate in the culture that we are in. But when we evaluate culture, we evaluate it from the lens of our primary allegiance, which is to the kingdom, right? And so our citizenship is in heaven. And then here, this is what we're going to be camping on for a little while. In 1 Peter 2 verses 9 to 10, it says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We used to be in darkness. He's called us out of that into his light. And there is this new culture. There is this new life that we are finding in Christ, and that is part of our citizenship. We're no longer living in darkness, but we're living in light. It is very black and white in the Bible. It is clear that we are no longer of this world. We are now of the kingdom. And it says, but now you are, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I want to camp on this um, Oh, my slide got chopped at the bottom, but you can read the, the rest of the verse yourself. But I want to camp on this because it shows me something about acculturating into the kingdom. And that's something that I don't think anyone really taught me uh, as I was growing up. I think it was taught to me as legalistic thought. It was like you need to obey the laws of the kingdom. But what I would rather you see is that there's not so much laws of the kingdom, but there's a culture of the kingdom. And the only way we truly participate in the culture of the kingdom is not integration, but is assimilation. Remember, integration is where I hold on to my old culture and add on the new culture, right? So there is this old and new mixing together. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, there is a, a, a letting go of my old self in order to take on the new self of Christ. And that is assimilation. And when we have Christians that are having a mixed theology, and I'm not saying that we cannot take anything from this world. I love psychology. I love social sciences. It is something I refer to all the time. That is my background. But we look at it through the lens of the kingdom. I'll come to that in a little while. But I want you to see that to acculturate to the kingdom, to live in a kingdom here mentality, it is not to integrate, but to assimilate. And I want to unpack this from 1 Peter chapter two, which we've just read, because Peter shows us four different descriptions of ourselves. And one of the things about uh, uh, the culture that you live in is that it becomes a shortcut for your identity. In, in social sciences, when a person does not acculturate well, when the acculturation strategy does not work, so let's say I'm a migrant into this land and my strategy is not allowing me to really settle into a tribe, what happens is that there is this loss of identity, which then leads to a lot of different mental health issues. So, what did I bring that up? I don't know. Tidbit, there you go. Um, but, but what, yes, what culture does is that it gives us a shortcut for our identity, who we are. And so Paul talks about our citizenship in heaven using four different ways of describing who we are. The first thing he does is that there's a little list. If we go to the next slide, I believe, Nebs. 
There we go. So Paul, uh, Peter describes this first as a chosen people and then royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession. I want to walk through these four descriptions to show you something that I thought was quite amazing. The first thing is that Paul says that we are a chosen people. The word for chosen can also be uh, translated elected. God has specifically looked for you and chosen you. That is something that is what salvation is all about. It's not so much that we have chosen Christ, even though that is a part of the salvation process, but the Bible teaches us that it's God that reaches out, finds us, and specifically says, Reese, you are my people. That is what God is doing. But the word people is really interesting because the word people is, is not just like people, but it actually talks about a kindredness. It talks about we are of the same kind. It says that we are similar. This is my tribe and we are similar. So when Peter is saying your identity in Christ is that you are God's chosen people, he's not just saying that you are chosen and that's cool and a chosen human being. He's saying you're chosen and you are now different. Same in this crew, but different from who you used to be. That's what chosen people is referring to. And then he goes on to say royal priesthood. Why royal? Is because the Bible teaches us something called adoption. That when God chose us for salvation, He didn't just give you salvation and say, off you go. He says, I have chosen you for salvation and I'm bringing you into my family. And that's where royalty comes from. That's where our identity comes from. Our self-worth does not come from anywhere else except that God chose you and continues to relate to you. When you don't have that understanding that God has chosen you and continues to relate to you as one of His own, we lose sight of who we are. We end up with a desire to prove ourselves and try to find our place in this world when God is saying, you're royalty. And that is such a beautiful thing. It's something we're going to be exploring later this year. We've got a series called Sons and Daughters. Uh, for those who uh, know, Beck and I, we adopted. Uh, we've gone down a route of adoption. And adoption is such a beautiful but complex concept that we need to understand if we are to understand how much God loves us. So that's later on this year. But then he goes on to say royal, and then he says priesthood. So what does that mean? That none of you can get married, all right? So let's just get... No, that's not what God is saying. He did not say celibacy. He said celebration. It is something that we get to enjoy. But the priesthood, what the priesthood is about, if you go back to the Old Testament and the institution of the priesthood, is just simply being a people that represent God. We will come back to this because this is where I want to land. But this, we are chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are royalty. We are sons and daughters of God that represent God. That is our identity. The third thing is that we are a holy nation. What is a holy nation? Holy means set apart for God. God is holy. He is separate. He is set apart. And He calls us to be holy, to be set apart. And then He says, nation. This means, uh, uh, again, this, this word nation is talking about a group of people that choose to live together. They have made a decision. This third description is that we have made a decision to be separate, 
to be different. You know, one of the things about uh, the teaching on the grace of God as powerful and as necessary as it has been for me, one of the things that sometimes it lends to is that we think that because of God's grace, we do whatever we want. No, no, no. God's grace saves us from where we are, accepts us from where we are, where, where we are, and then takes us to where we can be. This grace of God is teaching us that we are meant to look, feel, and be different because that's where life is. Why would we choose to be rescued from our old life if our old life was all that great? Right? If our old life was so good, you don't need God. You would not be in this room. You would not have decided to wake up this morning, get yourself all dolled up because that's what you do to go to church, turn up and then sit around a bunch of people and listen to a, a Singaporean try to convince you that he's Australian. Why would you do that? It's because you realize that your life is, is missing something or you're trying to live in the fullness of what Christ has for you. As a holy nation, we are saying, I am subscribing to the culture of a kingdom that is separate and is set apart for God. And so there's a holy nation bit. The fourth one is God's special possession. And that is my favorite one because the word special possession, possession uh, is, is, is all about the words that were used is that God has redeemed you. He has bought you. You belong to him. But the, why I describe as God's special possession is because you become unique when God possesses you. And this sounds really like, oh, whole, oh, like weird spiritual. No, no, no. God is not taking over you, but he is owning you. He's embracing you. And the original language is so... It indicates such a close relationship that you become so different that the, the, the King James Version of the Bible uh, translated this phrase, you are God's peculiar people. Wow. I want you to think about that. They were like, how do I emphasize that when God owns you, you he changes you? It's like, let's call them peculiar. I can see why that didn't catch on. We don't sing any songs where, God, you made me peculiar. I am now a strange person. We don't sing songs like that because it's a bit strange. But the original context of this verse is that what Peter's trying to say, look at every one of those descriptions. You are different because you are in Christ. You are loved. You belong. There is a kindredness around a people that you are now a part of. And so what Peter is saying, if I can translate it into what I'm talking about today, is that if we as Christians decide to integrate rather than assimilate into the kingdom, we are diluting what the kingdom is about. And I want you to think about this. If I go picking and mixing my way in the kingdom which is, I think, one of the biggest issues with Christianity in Australia is that we are so blessed, we are so self-sufficient, we don't really have a full need for God when it comes to our finances and making our own lives, or at least that's what we think, that sometimes we go picking and mixing through the kingdom. We, we go, I like, the, I like the chosen part, but I don't like the becoming a people part. I like the royal part, but I don't like the priesthood part. I like the nation part, maybe because I like community, but the holy thing, that is, that's legalism. 
I like being God's possession, but then to become peculiar? Why do we think that we can go to God and say, by the way, I know that you created the heavens and the earth and that you have designed how our lives are supposed to be like, but can I make a few suggestions? Can we make every Friday like happy Friday where I can do whatever I want? Can we, you know, can, can I have, you know, heaven's a bit boring. Why don't we have some like raunchy Netflix TV shows that we can binge on every now and then? I mean, your blood is sufficient to cover that stuff, right? Why do we think that we can bring this corrupted world and the culture that it holds and go to God and say, can we mix this? I think that we need to severely, seriously, vulnerably look at ourselves and go, do I know what God's kingdom looks like? Or do I just assume that God's kingdom works according to what I think is best. See, the message of kingdom here is that God is bringing a kingdom that is greater, that is more gracious, that is more loving, that is more powerful than anything we could ever imagine. But the ability for us to live in that kingdom that is larger, more abundant, more gracious than we could ever imagine is, 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 is predicated on our ability to say, no, 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 I'm letting go in order to take a hold off. You see, God wants to fill your life with life. But if our life is so full of our old life, how is God meant to fill you up with anything more? And that's where when we sing songs like, I want to be tried by fire. When we bring our lives to God and we say, God, you examine me and you show me what is of your kingdom, what is eternal and what's temporary. Sometimes when God tries you, this is what it looks like. Why are you taking that? Yeah? Anyone been in that place before? I've been in that place so many times. I'm like, come on, God. Just let me have some of my fun. But then God says, no, you're peculiar because you've chosen to be part of my kingdom. And this is not meant to be a negative thing. This is meant to stir something up in us. We're not meant to integrate. We're meant to assimilate. What are you holding on to that you're going to God and say, can I please keep this? You say, no, 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 God, you're, you're a good God, and so I need to be able to have this. I've met so many people. I've been one of those people who have gone to God and said, you're, you're supposed to love me, so give me what I want. You know when a child tells you that, what do you say? I love you and therefore I'm not giving you that. The number of times God has taken something away from me that I really treasured, and then after that gone, my life would be so much worse with that. And only God knew because of his eternal mindset, his perspective, he's able to see. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. This is what Paul says. So from now on, we regard no one with a, from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What does that mean? It means that when we first saw Christ, we were like, why would God do that? Are you really God? Why would God sacrifice? And Paul's saying, no, 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 this is God. We learn to see Christ from God's perspective and His purposes. And so we see Christ for who He truly is. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who has reconciled us to Himself himself 
through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I just want to pause there for a second. You know, I, I love this verse, but then I hate this verse. Because I think that we have misused this. We said the old is gone and new has come. We believe that when I pray for you, oh, the new is here and the old is gone. Suddenly God takes one of those men in black, black um, uh, uh, memory erases, oh, all your sins are now forgotten and your past life and now download. You are a priest of the most. Why do we believe that God wipes our memory? Why do we believe that God wipes away our humanity? God rather is in the business of remolding our humanity rather than just like making us forget it. And when we say the old is gone and new has come, what Paul is saying is that the kingdom of heaven is here. But for us to really reach into that, we need to decide to repent, which means to turn away from the old kingdom in order to walk into the new kingdom. And that's what this is all about. And that is what reconciliation is about. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, the primary purpose of what Christ was doing was to say, I am now allowing you entry into the kingdom of God. As a migrant in Australia, I jumped through many hoops, my parents in particular, jump through many hoops in order to allow us to experience the benefits of Australia. As Even as a permanent resident, I went to uni and I thought that my university would be paid for first by the government. No, you're only a permanent resident, not a citizen. You do not get full benefits. As a migrant, I think I got this new perspective that if I'm not fully, fully in the citizenship, I don't have all the rights. And when Christ died on the cross, he made a super highway. You get to skip the migration agent. You don't have to sit in some guy's office and say, do you speak the language of the kingdom of heaven? How much can you score on our language test? How much do you know the history? What is the national flower of Australia? When they asked that question, I was like, I asked Australians, and they're like, uh, the grass tree? What is the national flower? Australia is a desert. You don't have flowers. Apparently it's a kangaroo paw. No, it's the golden wattle. I don't even know. I passed that test 17 years ago. Never going back. You can't get rid of me. I'm Australian. But when Jesus died on the cross, he opened a superhighway and he said, you are now citizens of heaven. How amazing is that? And then some of us poo-poo it and say, yeah, thanks, but can I just check the fine print? What do you mean I give my life to Christ? You mean I just say a prayer, right? Not you don't literally mean that I give my life to Christ, right? It's just may, maybe I don't mind tithing. I don't mind serving once, maybe once a month. That sounds about right. But everything else, surely you don't need that, right? I mean, God, you're so generous, we look at the fine print of the kingdom and God just says, hey, I've given you this ability to come into my kingdom. Anyway, I'm sidetracking myself. Where am I? All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I want you to see this. We are... Therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal 
through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This whole passage is really important because what Paul is trying to say is you're meant to look different and you're meant to now represent God. Remember when I mentioned that Peter said that we are royal priesthood, we are sons and daughters of God that now represent God to people. This is not a pick and mix situation, guys. This is what kingdom looks like. You see, when we go picking and mixing, it means that we don't understand the generosity of God to allow us to be citizens of heaven. When we understand that Christ, through Christ, we are now reconciled to God, we automatically get the responsibility of being Christ's ambassadors. When I was thinking about this kingdom here theme for the year, another word came to mind as to how to describe what I see God wanting to do here. Kingdom here is more about changing our perspective, but I wanted to call this year ambassadors because I think that kingdom here is one thing for myself personally, but kingdom here, not just for me, but for the world that I live in is far more important. And this is what I felt God put on my heart end of last year. We are not building a church of individuals loving God. We are building a church of people that have been reconciled to God and are now actively living as Christ's ambassadors. The message, the ministry of reconciliation is not God's to bear. He has entrusted it to you. If you are listening to this message, you don't get to say anymore, I didn't know about that, so sorry that you came to church this morning. But guess what? When you say, Christ, I accept all that you've done, we're also saying, Christ, I accept the message of reconciliation. Why is that important? That is important because when we forget that we are meant to be not just living with Christ, but living for Christ, we end up losing sight of how this culture is meant to look like. We forget to acculturate to the kingdom of God. We are meant to look different because if we don't look different, people will not know your citizenship. It's kind of like when people look at me on the outside, they make assumptions about who I am. But the moment I open my mouth, they're like, who the heck are you? You Singaporean, Chinese, Australian? And I'll say, clearly Australian, right? I love when I speak to someone on the phone, I say, let's go catch up, and then we catch up, and they're like, I wasn't expecting you. It's kind of funny, I'm like, yeah, you made assumptions. But some of us look and feel like our old selves. And when someone is speaking to you, they don't see Christ in you. They don't see a reconciled self. They don't see a peculiar person. They say, you're just like me. You still don't have hope. You still I'm not saying that we don't struggle with difficulties in this world, but we come with a different perspective. And Jesus actually made this really dangerously clear. In Matthew 5, verse 13, he said this, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. This is Jesus. He said, I'm bringing you into my kingdom. But if you don't look, taste, feel like someone from my kingdom, you might as well be outside of my kingdom. You see, the only way that we truly know that we're living for Christ oh, sorry, the only way that we truly know that we have been saved is by our life. 
when I have discovered the depth of His love for me, I cannot help, I cannot help but live differently. This morning, I believe that some people need to give up their dual citizenships. I remember I had a friend, we did the army together, we, were, we actually both went to Rossmont and then I saw him in the army because I had to do national service and I saw him then and we were like, what the heck are you doing here? And it was kind of fun and um, we were talking about citizenship because he was actually born in um, Australia but continued to hold his Singapore citizenship. I was like, why are you doing this? And I was like, well, I want options. And I said, like, are you allowed to have options? No, but as long as nobody tells me to, I'm not going to give up my option. And I was like, what is that? Yeah, I got two passports. You know, I got a Singapore, I scanned my Singapore passport. I got to Australia, I scanned my Australian passport. It makes it so much easier. And I think that sometimes some of us live like that when it comes to the kingdom. When we go to work, it's like, I'm going to scan my earth passport. I'm going to work now. This is my license to, to swear, to cheat, to steal, to hide. And then we come to church. Oh, better get the other passport out. Holy are you, Lord. No options. Kingdom here doesn't allow us that. But I do want to say that people that hold dual citizenships of God never never experience the fullness of the kingdom. You don't. What has darkness to do with light? That's what the Bible tells us. It's kind of like the kid that is standing at the end, edge of the table and wanting to commit to God but not really committing. So I'm going to jump into your arms, Father God. No, not really, it's too scary. I want to stay here. What does the kid end up doing? Falling down. It's not committed to the jump. Yes, there's faith required. But if you want to experience the fullness of God, you cannot have a dual citizenship. If you want to experience the fullness of God, you've got to give up your citizenship to this world and say, I am a citizen of heaven. Can we get the band up this morning? I truly believe that this is a year that for some of you, you're going to experience what it means. You're going to experience what it means to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I believe that that is what God is making available for each and every single one of us. But I believe that this morning, it requires us to make the choice. Maybe not just this morning, it's a choice that is ongoing but I pray that it is a choice that you're going to make. Before we move any further, I just want to also give the opportunity for people to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I know that there might be people here that's listening to this message for the first time and suddenly something is just clicking and turning on like a light bulb inside of you and saying, this makes sense. I've been trying to make this work by myself. Who's this Jesus? Can you introduce me to this Jesus? Or maybe you know about Jesus and it's like, wow, I really, really need him. I want to lead you into a prayer this morning to accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, to begin to accept that Christ has reconciled you to God. So if I can ask everyone just to close your eyes, because this is a private moment. 
and just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I know I'm a sinner. I know I have missed the mark. But forgive me and wash me clean. I invite you into my life. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.